the Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. Oh, hi, Ryan Heyman H. <laughs> I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. Are you also maybe uh, a little bit out of ideas after our big <laughs> push last week? <laughs> yeah, it was a little, it, uh, you know, it, the, the word push is a great euphemism because it did feel like passing a kidney stone to come up with 50 ideas. I did, you know, after seeing it all tweeted out, I was like, boy, it really makes me wish we could have gotten a hundred ideas each, but I don't think we, I don't think my brain had it in me and I don't think the show length had it in it. Yeah, I think we, I think we rounded out to a nice kind of amount of time, you know, keeping it under two hours. Uh, I, I think it turned out really well. I was really pleased with what we ended up coming up with, but uh, yeah, twice as much. I think we would have gotten very tired by the end of it. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I think it'll, I think in terms of all of the special episodes or the little things we've tried in the past, that one will forever stand out and be something that I, I feel proud of. We have seven or eight episodes left. So, you know, if we could do 50 each last week, then surely we can pull through for the remaining seven or eight. So. You'd like to think. <laughs> Let's do our best. Um, but uh, I, I think we're going to, we've been reinvigorated by the creativity last week. We've refound the purpose of the show. And I think that'll uh, inspire us going forward. Hopefully, all the listeners at home enjoyed that as well. Um, as of the time of recording, the episode just came out today, so we haven't gotten a lot of feedback on that yet, but uh, hopefully people will listen and enjoy. Yeah, if you uh, if you listen to the show, tweet us your favorite one of the uh, one-line ideas or your top three or something like that. <laughs> I guess it's a list of 100. You could You could be able to extract a top three with relative ease. Well, let's get to our individual video game pitches for the day. Why don't you go first this time around? Yeah. So I had to search our website because 200 episodes in, that's where we're at. I had to search our website to find out if there was any mention of this in the past and there wasn't. I'm surprised. So I'm pulling in some inspiration from a show that I completed while, uh, you know, <laughs> in the past year, uh, actually in the past couple months, a Battlestar Galactica. I realize that this, uh, I'm sure there's been attempts at video games of it before, but the modern Battlestar Galactica, I think would make a really compelling, uh, fusion between maybe FTL and, uh, a narrative or 4X strategy game, uh, a crusader of Kings, if you will, where you're having these generational people on a ship. You're also, uh, trying to keep a fleet together and manage things like resources. And you're constantly on the move from the Cylons trying to uh, find out what course uh, is going to take you home on a potentially very long journey. All right, start on the clock. So I might be a bit useless on this one because I've never actually seen Battlestar <laughs> Galactica before. But if, if there's like a way to kind of boil down what it does differently than other sci-fi, kind of like, you know, Star Trek kind of grounds its its sci-fi and almost kind of like naval. And so if you can kind of wrap your mind around, you know, ships and the types of naval warfare that they would do on actual like, you know, giant frigates and stuff like that, then you can kind of understand the mechanics of Star Trek anyways. And so, you know, like, what is it that sets Battlestar apart from the other sci-fis? It's a good question. I think, to me, some of the standout things for Battlestar is the series, 
there is no port of call. There is no renewal for the good guys in the series. It is when a ship is lost, when people are lost, they are gone. So you do have those kind of roguelike mechanics uh, kind of at play, um, or the or at least the telltale <laughs> um, when a character is gone, someone will remember that kind of mechanics. Next, you have your crusader of kings like there is a president on one of the ships and maybe not everybody's happy with that president so they want to hold an election so you have some political social things you're dealing with and then finally almost i feel like designed for a video game the cylons the bad guys in battlestar galactica they essentially when one of them dies another one flies off an assembly line of that exact same model with all of its memories so you have a renewable enemy uh who is also potentially the nemesis system at work so the enemy is learning and getting better about you and your tactics you have no way to really go and make your ship all cleaned up and polished again you have to kind of repair it with the resources that you have along the way so in battlestar did they ever attack these assembly lines to kind of interrupt the flow because it sounds like Blasting the individual robots isn't going to do that much to kind of quell the force. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there is there is this concept of gosh, if I can remember the name, I think it's called the I don't know if it's an assembly ship or what. Gosh, I should know this, but yeah, there is the concept of there are some ships within the Cylon fleet that when you die, uh, you're your brain is transferred back to that ship and they print to do one of you, those. If you die far enough away from that ship, there's an, you're not coming back. If you, if that ship blows up and you're too far away from the next closest ship that will print you a fresh body, you're also gone. So I do think there is kind of a interesting long-term war of attrition. <laughs> you could, you could win through the attrition war. Interesting. So it's kind of like the balance between X-Wings and TIE Fighters, where TIE Fighters will kind of vastly outnumber X-Wings, but the TIE Fighters really aren't suitable for any kind of long-range conflict. Or, uh, you know, they're very short-range fighters, and so all the X-Wings really need to do is kind of lure them out a little bit farther than they're really designed to go, and then they're at the right. disadvantage, no matter their numbers. Right, right, right. So the Cylon regeneration is kind of like a one-for-one thing. It's not like a hive mind where the knowledge and experience that a Cylon gains is shared across kind of the entire network. Right. It's actually super interesting. So there's, uh, I guess there's 12 different models of Cylon. So there's only, so this actually works well for a video game too. You only have to model five mm -hmm. or 12 bad guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> the models will share, um, their models will share memories within the same model and there mm. can be multiple copies of a model. So there might be, and they literally get, get called by number. So there might be 20 or, you know, even a hundred different sixes in rotation. The sixes all generally share the same memories. Uh, the sixes are all, but they can all collect individualistic experiences and share it amongst the sixes. That being said, when, you know, again, when a six dies too far away, it will not be able to like add its experiences back to the collective. So I think the 
what's interesting, right, is like, um, do you remember the game Frostpunk from about a year or so ago? Maybe it's yeah. a couple of years ago. I think the mm-hmm. way that Frostpunk, <laughs> I remember losing my first Frostpunk run and they're like, hey, uh, you suck. We're just banishing you <laughs> to the cold because they didn't like the decisions I was making, I guess, as the leader. I think that there's a way to kind of lose the fleet that way, right? Where if you you could enact policies and the show has to of like, hey, are we going to do military rule? Are we going to try and uphold a civilian government? Are we going to order people to work in food processing so that the fleet has food? So you have these kind of political policy decisions to make to keep people alive, safe, happy, that sort of stuff. And maybe those things are not always possible together. And then you have the, then you, if you, let's say you enact those policies. Now you have the, can you sufficiently uh, gather water and food and, and nutrients and stuff along the way and fuel. And then, then you're dealing with the third, which is uh, the enemies. So I, I, it's, it's interesting. It's like if you did a 4X grand strategy game, but you made it literally, you know, two dozen ships and really one big defense ship and two dozen little ships around the fleet that maybe you make them like specialized units that are doing these things. It would be interesting if, I don't know if this is a thing in Battlestar, I suspect not, but uh, since this, uh, it seems like the space between units and these kind of like central hub ships is important. If there was like a way for you to drive a ship in between, it's almost like a, uh, almost like a plow that creates like oh. tears in space time. And so you can create artificial distance that, uh, you know, whatever it is like a reverse wormhole or something to make two spaces that are close together actually seem farther apart. So almost like, um, like Jezbal or something, you're kind of segmenting the battlefield and cutting people off from the necessary, uh, respawn resources. I think that's cool. There is a there is a concept that I think works well with that called uh, they're they're faster than light travel. They just call it jumping. Mm-hmm. When they do a jump, they will they will often play tricks with their jump drive. So they're like, we're gonna jump in some fighters that look vulnerable, then we're gonna jump them out and replace them with a the huge fighter. So I think that there's really cool like opportunities for planning out a battle before like one that you're opting to go into, and so we could pull into the bridge and actually let you they have a like figurine station uh on the ship with uh, little models where they're like okay we're gonna come in here and then here's where the planet is and we're gonna circle around that sort of stuff so i think you could do that and it, it would feel pretty cool almost like a football manager or something as you plan out uh, an operation so forex is also another genre that i don't spend a ton of time with and so i might be missing some of the nuances here but I wonder if a game like a football manager that's just entirely kind of running the running the numbers and running the stats and planning out the plays beforehand uh, would sustain through throughout yeah. an entire kind of space warfare type of game uh, without having maybe even direct control over the ships. Yeah, it's a good question. I think you you would want to set up scenarios where you know I don't know if it's like a rains type of uh, this or that, but I can imagine little pieces of each game being spliced together here. So going for reigns in terms of politics and decision-making and then sprinkling in some slower like RTS-like combat for um, the fighter view and the ship view. 
And then, yeah, having the, the resource economy management stuff, maybe that lets you dive into, you know, almost XCOM, like see the side cutout view or like this war of mine um, view of the ships and actually dial in and see how the people are getting along and that sort of thing. Interesting. We're at our 10 minutes. Let's go ahead and give that one a name. The, the planet that they're uh, originally from is called Caprica. So I wonder if we do like Battlestar Caprica Outcasts or something like that. It feels like it should have like a grand sounding name. That works well. I kind of like that. I was uh, I was thinking of later in the show, if if this fell into our final section, which I don't know how it would, but we could call it Battlestar Redactica. <laughs> but, uh, I think that uh, Caprica Outcast sounds like a, like a suitable name. Something yeah, and if that, you uh, wanted to make it really unpredictable, you could actually have it set on a different battle star other than Galactica. And yeah, are those things okay? <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> those are their big ships. <laughs> I just assumed that was just like I know. I thought that's like Star Wars in a galaxy. You know? <laughs> right? No, yeah, they call their big ships battle stars. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Got to give it to them. Yeah, they good did name. A good job there. <laughs> All right, uh, my pitch for the day is inspired. By <laughs> by the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Oh, man. Okay, I can't wait. So I was actually like really fascinated by the scenes with the Flash. And um, mm. I think we might have even talked about it on Playwright before, but like especially the scene where we are introduced to the Flash, where he's, I guess, saving a young woman from a car wreck or something like that. Yeah. But because Such a good he's moving so fast, it's like the rest of the world is essentially moving in like extremely slow motion, might as well be paused. And so I was wondering if there's something that we can do to to do sort of an ultra slow motion. Maybe it's kind of performing daily, everyday tasks. Have we pitched this exact thing before? It sounds very familiar the more that I speak. Even <gasps> I if we think have. It, yeah, if anything, we could take the angle of playing as the Flash, potentially. Yeah, so anyways, I'm, I'm just interested in like maybe even a VR experience because another thing that I was interested in is that like he has such like a gentle touch when he's in the slow motion mode because presumably if he even, you know, if he haphazardly grabs something like he would in regular motion, then, you know, if he were to grab somebody's hand, even rather gingerly, he would break all of their bones because he's moving at like right. the speed of light. It'd be like getting shot with a with a bullet the size of a human. And so, you know, there's a, I think there's a lot to consider as far as like being careful and, uh, but I, I just kind of want a VR experience where you are in extremely slow motion guiding scenes to resolve in positive ways. So I'm going to go ahead and start the clock there. I, I think, yeah, I don't know if we've pitched something exactly like this before, but the, the idea of it's, it almost would feel like something between super hot VR, I imagine. And mm -hmm. um, gosh, there was a really great space game I had played in VR that I forget the name of. The Lone Echo, maybe? There you go. <laughs> I can always count on you to know the, uh, the name of the game. Yeah, so Lone Echo. I loved the zero G sequences in Lone Echo and that feeling of, you know, bumping into something and it really kind of ricocheting around at zero gravity. And I imagine this would, you know, that flash scene would give you vibes of that. I think what I am most interested in exploring is what it means to 
move slowly and carefully in VR. Like I get the, you know, there are a lot of VR games that do require like a fair amount of precision and kind of careful planning. But um, I think most VR games really want to kind of get you moving and swinging your arms around and enjoying the kind of the kinetic thrill of it all. Whereas like something that feels very precise and fine motor. Yeah. um, It's probably better suited to that than any other kind of motion control method due to its a one-to-one accuracy. You'd really need the hand grippies and like the finger pointing, uh, potentially to, like the Flash does, uh, guide the hot dog into his pocket. <laughs> what I what I think is interesting is, I mean, in your mind, this almost sounds like it is a puzzle game to me. You know, it's like here's something awful happening. Maybe there's a number of potential solutions to it. You could almost play it like a Hitman level, where you go and you're like, well. You could, uh, you know, yank the steering wheel of the car and get it to fly out of the way. You could, you know, gently place the person who's going to get hit outside of the realm of danger. You could put something in the road that would stop. Well, theoretically, if you wanted to stop the car in its tracks, you then have to solve the secondary problem of how do you keep the driver safe now? I think another interesting thing with VR is it suffers from a lack of like of primary feedback which i think obviously is a problem that is going to be like impossible to fully solve like obviously we're not going to ever feel like we're picking up a box when we're picking up a box in vr and it's uh it's difficult to communicate the weight of anything because we can move our arms and, and so it's like everything in in vr feels weightless and so instead of shying away from that we like really lean into it you know the flash could pick up an entire car or at least kind of guide it in motion effortlessly but if you move your hand too fast then maybe you know the body of the car starts to crumple because you know it's being hit with something at a intense velocity yeah and so you know just really being careful and just kind of like giving it minor kind of guides and nudges along the way. It would be such like a fascinating and interesting perspective to take. It's so strange because the Flash, he didn't get his own Zack Snyder movie, right? But I I always did feel that, you know, the kind of lighthearted nature of the character, it would be great to spend a whole movie with him and the way that we got, you know, I don't know, insert any more quirky Marvel character X, Y, or Z. I know some people love the Flash TV show. Yeah, you'd have to imagine like, the first time he becomes the Flash, he's not quite great <laughs> at wrestling with these things. I, mm-hmm. the, you know, in the same way that Superman maybe accidentally laserized some things as he's getting going as a kid, I think the Flash becomes someone who, you know, is realizing his power as he goes along. And so, you know, I, I not to be too comedic, but I do think that the character does lend himself to being a little, you know, I, I don't know, funny, lighthearted with making mistakes or, you know, hearing some, some dialogue come in when you really kind of flub things up for yourself or make things a little harder. Yeah. So, you know, like, um, a lot of puzzle games are very prescriptive in the solutions that they require. And, uh, I think to kind of stay with the lighthearted nature, maybe things kind of ramp up as the game goes on, but to stay with the lighthearted nature, it'd be nice if you could kind of allow some elbow room as far as, um, you know, mistakes being made. So if if the designers kind of account for the mistakes that gamers typically make, and then all of a sudden you're kind of solving a secondary puzzle because 
you messed up the first one instead of having oh. to kind of automatically restart from the beginning. And then at the end, you're kind of judged on the amount of damage that you've done. And uh, maybe it's the difference between like a one and a five star rating. It almost gets like burnout crash mode vibes a little bit, but like you're on on foot in, in the middle of it all. One of the things that comes to mind in terms of a mechanic to layer in here is VR also has that kind of, some people would, I guess, maybe say unfortunate, but the teleport kind of movement. And I do think that it would be, it'd not only be in fiction, but kind of fun to say, well, you can dash teleport like down the street you know, you're just moving at the speed of light or whatever, and then actually like pick up objects from all around the area, you know, as long as it's reasonably adjacent and things are, aren't totally frozen. If they're moving in some, you know, maybe you got 10 minutes to put the whole thing together or something like that. You could kind of jump all around and find like, oh, if I just go back and forth to this toy store, a thousand times I can get, you know, not, a, you know, whatever, 20 times I can go just stuff a bunch of giant teddy bears in the middle of this uh, and and make them an airbag or something so that this person doesn't get hurt. Yeah, that's fun as well. Using objects in the environment, not knowing where crime or misfortune is going to strike and uh, being in a, especially urban environments are so kind of cluttered with all sorts of different things around you that you really have to kind of get improvisational. And then as you're moving that fast, you know, the, the laws of physics are different than you might expect them to be. Maybe, maybe you can create glass by stirring up a bunch oh. of sand or dirt or something like that. You know, maybe you can, yeah, you can create things. Yeah. You can create plasma. You can like, I don't, I don't know what purpose everything would serve, but like if physics did become a little bit more of like a play thing, giving these kind of non-traditional solutions to puzzles. I wonder if you also incorporate, like if you can figure out like a circular perimeter to kind of jog around, you'll get a little bit of like a Forza Motorsport rewind feature of like, well, I need to actually you know, run in, in some circles and, and actually turn back time a little bit, uh, or, or place yourself further back in time rather not necessarily reversing time. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The idea that moving, moving too fast can send you backwards in time. Maybe that's almost like a re retry mechanic that you can utilize yourself by, I guess, swinging your controllers extra fast. Or moving around in real space, you know, safely if you're at like a room scale environment. But, you know, maybe it's a maybe it's kind of a punishment if you're trying to continue with a puzzle and you just get over eager. But if it could be a uh, could be a nice rewind mechanic when things get a little bit too tough. I'm trying to think about some of the other things. Because uh, I think one of the things that's great in VR is when they do have, I'm thinking about job simulator and these types of tinkering things. And I think that each of these environments or these contained little spaces, if they're rich with interactions of, you know, being able to turn on a radio or something and just enjoy it for yourself or all these sorts of little uh, I don't know how the radio would play <laughs> at the speed that you're going, but I I do like the idea of, you know, for Barry Allen, a moment can be an eternity. And so what do you do when you can turn any moment to, into an eternity? That's enough time on that one. Let's shut it down and give it a name.
I mean, Flashpoint is kind of the obvious <laughs> choice here, especially if we're leading right into the uh, into the IP. Is Flashpoint not? I feel like that is a VR game already. Am I wrong about that? Is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna have to Google it. Hold on. Flashpoint VR. There's an Operation Flashpoint. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, Operation, which is the one where you're in a a uh, like a boat or something, right? A canoe. That I think is something different. I know what you're talking about, though. I don't yeah, remember yeah. what that one's called, but no, we, can, uh, we can change the name. <laughs> as long as it's not Operation Flashpoint, you're good to go. Which is too bad because I do want to sell like a uh, DLC where you perform operations in slow motion. <laughs> so we're going to have to, we'll have to, come up we'll with have to get creative. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's go to our community and see what you all have for us today. This is a email that we received that comes from Matt Parker, who says, could we get a game set in a nursing home? This pandemic has uh. actually, didn't we talk about this recently? <laughs> I think this was a uh, post 10 minute edition, like in the, at the point at which we were like discussing names or something like that, or maybe it came up last week. I think so. Could we get a game set in a nursing home? The pandemic has made me think more about how we treat our senior citizens. And I can't think of any game that deals with old age. I'm thinking it could be similar to theme hospital plus the Sims you need to help the residents enjoy themselves and keep them healthy. Throw in plenty of internal drama, disagreements, and romances, and I think you'd have a pretty fun sim game full of plates to spin. All right, started the clock. Here are some things. I don't know why I know them. I guess the media has made sure that I know them. Number one, uh, there was something on John Oliver in the past couple of weeks where someone in a nursing home was eaten by an alligator because they just had mm -hmm. in Florida, big surprise, uh, Florida. I guess there was just like a, an, an, a pond outside. And so a patient that, you know, wasn't had some dementia kind of just went out in the middle of the night and, you know, alligator food the next day. So there is kind of, it, it's hard, like you, with the way America treats senior living, you could go everything from theme hospital, fun, comedic thing to, gosh, you could make it a horror game. Yeah. So I, I kind of like this combination between theme hospital and the Sims. Um, you know, I, I've been playing a lot of, uh, what is it called? Two point hospital. And, um, I think it's, it's interesting. Like I like, opening up all the different rooms and kind of responding to patient needs and making sure that my hospital's equipped to handle all of the patients that are coming in and the various illnesses that they have, hiring doctors, managing the load of everything, and kind of uh, creating this balance, a good balanced hospital as they go. But patients are, they're, they're funny. You can, you can watch them individually and watch them, you know, go to their primary care physician to get diagnosed and they usually have something very silly about them like they're made of cardboard or their heads made out of a light bulb or something and mm. then they go to the appropriate treatment wing and you can watch some sort of funny animation play while they're getting healed and then they go home and each each of them does have this kind of story but they're not individuals and they're always kind of in then they're out more of a scrub something that's than an ER. Yeah, so something that's like the the Sims where you aren't receiving kind of a constant flow of patients. You have like a a set group. It's almost like a sitcom, you know? It's like right. Golden Girls. You have like a, a group of however many that just kind of live in this home 
like Animal Crossing, I guess, you know, and maybe some come <laughs> and some go over like long stretches of time, but like they're yeah. not like faceless customers, you know, you, you do get to know them. They each have personalities. They have wants and needs and romances and relationships. That's, that's exciting. I don't know if I've seen a management game that goes to that level of depth with like individualizing the customers without making them directly controllable like the Sims would. Yeah. I mean, I love the idea too of, you know, so many games are try to find like, how are we going to expand the gameplay or like keep a long tail of a game going? And one of the things I think of naturally here is if you allow players to kind of choose from a cast of, you know, 10 different seniors um, or, you know, or, you know, 20 different seniors and you're going to choose 10, something like that, but you have to choose some small subsect of, of seniors. It's a re- reasonably small place enough that you could, you know, manage it like a Sims house. You could essentially have expansion packs be like, Hey, we've designed this, you know, new senior. <laughs> and this one is, <laughs> uh, you know, he, this one is a war veteran. And so he's going to come in and have if you pair him with any one of these others, you're going to get kind of crazy dynamics or you take a, you know, a senior who's maybe loves to gamble. And, you know, that's the senior that kind of creates a a card and dice game atmosphere in the senior center and the seniors are trading their teeth and stuff for money and all of that nonsense. You know, what's uh, I, I think back to the Simpsons as well. And obviously they kind of, most of the time they're kind of laughing at the senior citizens instead of with them. You know, there's a very contentious relationship between Abe Simpson and Marge's mother and everyone else who is kind of a senior citizen on that show. Uh, But every once in a while, when they give Abe one of his own stories and really kind of like follow him through his experiences and, let him have relationships with other characters. Like there's a, I don't know, there's a lot of, like it can be very interesting. And I think there's this idea that they're carrying forward aspects of their, you know, previous life uh, as well. And it would be such an interesting move to be able to discover things about these citizens past uh, without, um, I guess, without directly experiencing it. Maybe there are memory scenes, you know, like almost like a return to the Oprah Din type of scene yeah. where you kind of you get glimpses and moments, even in kind of Oprah Din style freeze frames. This is something I feel like we have pitched as you go. Actually, oh my gosh, this does sound very familiar. <laughs> I think this is one of yours. Yeah. Um, no, but you're, you're right. <laughs> and the, what I think is cool about adding the like Sims-esque uh, simulation layer to it, you can, as an orderly, you know, let's say mostly you're adminning the orderlies or whatever, you can befriend, uh, you know, one of the patients or like some patients are naturally going to gravitate towards whatever type of style you, you have. So maybe you're designing you can't design the seniors, you know, it's, it's very, very much like a real senior center. You get who you get and, but you can kind of like build your you and you can be like, okay, I'm going to be strict and I'm going to be, you know, maybe somebody who, uh, 
is a little bit more flippant when it comes to patient needs, or I'm going to be a real caregiver and, and a nurturing person. And so depending on how you design your character, you're going to develop friendships and stuff with different, you know, patients who live there. I think that that, you know, makes a nice thing because you can, now you're playing with the levers of what type of character am I going to be? And maybe you can shape it post the, you know, post the start, you end up getting along well with someone else. So you have the levers of what kind of character am I going to be, uh, or, or my staff is going to be, and what sorts of uh, seniors are going to come into the home, kind of see it play out, you know, just, I think if you can create a, a Sims, but like, unlike the Sims, you might actually have, well, I don't, I don't want to say this of all Sim players, but you, I imagine you would have a stronger emotional reaction to when a patient eventually passes away. There's a business management sim on top of this as well. And uh, maybe maybe kind of the best way to get rich is to run one of these like ultra exploitative, you know, like unethical retirement centers. And uh, right. so you're kind of balancing money this. Yeah, you're balancing your love for the characters versus essentially kind of the wellness of the institution economically, uh, which might be an interesting, I mean, I don't want, like, I, I want people to feel bad if they go for the lucrative option because, you know, people shouldn't be treated that way. But I want it to be kind of a constant struggle that people are always thinking about, at least. Yeah. I mean, you know, some people like the renegade run and mass effect <laughs> um and they want to punch the reporter or whatever that sort of stuff we brought uh, up the example of frostpunk earlier which is a game that does a good job of kind of weighing negative moral options against like things that will naturally make you feel bad but are good for your economic well-being right and i mean like I some of these games are just like hey are you gonna eat people <laughs> when, when it goes down to it. And, you know, I, I see people make those negative moral choices, but I've never seen anyone like delight in them before. Whereas like in Mass Effect, like I think there's a certain amount of joy right. that you can take in like just punching somebody out in a situation, you know? I think you also get really, there is something performative, I feel like, about uh, modern nursing homes too, where it's like, are you going to set up a a bingo night. Are you going to set up a dance? Uh, another thing I know about senior centers is they have bad problems with sexually transmitted diseases, mm -hmm. which is, you know, there's our <laughs> romance angles could cause real problems uh, for the administrative staff inside of these places. So, and I, and I think about like, Hey, sometimes you're going to get a call from a relative who is going to be like, I'm coming to visit my parents today. Like, can you have them ready or whatever? Sometimes you're going to get no notice and they're just going to show up. And sometimes maybe you'll get like, you can learn, oh, somebody comes every Friday or whatever to check on Walter. That just seems like a good old person name. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think you, you, there's also this aspect of like, are you keeping things well enough running and people happy enough in the times where you know their family is going to show up and really scrutinize how you're treating their loved one you know what is going to be the report to the family that week and that's all the time we have on that one let's close it down and give it a name two-point hospital we've got the sims something like elderly acres or a geriatric park or something like that would be funny. That is much better because I, my brain went to a very cruel, the sags. 
<laughs> I don't think that's very kind of like when, uh, when EA published the herbs Sims in the city. <laughs> what did you call it? Like sunny living or sunny side elderly acres or a geriatric park. <laughs> geriatric park is, I think it's a made joke, but it's, it's very good. The only thing I can think of is Nick. Do you, do you want to add tycoon in there somewhere? <laughs> They have a Jurassic World Evolution, Geriatric Park Evolution would be <laughs> a funny title, but I don't think it would evoke anything that has to do with the actual game itself. Yeah, I think if you do Geriatric Park, then you're setting yourself up for being able to deliver after the millions of, I mean, we're going to sell gangbusters on this. So after that, mm -hmm. we can finally do Geriatric World, which was the real project all along. <laughs> all right. Well, that one came from Matt Parker. Uh, who submitted through our website at playwrightcast.com slash pitch, where you can go as well. If you have a video game pitch of your own, or you can email us playwrightcast at gmail.com or tweet us at playwrightcast. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. And when you're listening to things, why don't you go listen to Kanan Rince, The Sausage Factory, the very last, for now, <laughs> episode of Sound of Play. It's such a sad... Why are we setting up such a sad couple months for Kane and Rince here? I know. Literally killing off half of the podcast <laughs> on the network. Oh my gosh. We, I, I, I'm, I'm so interested to find out what the future holds. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I don't know what's coming up, but uh, hopefully it'll be exciting and fresh and new. <laughs> Let's get to our redacted game. I believe that you will be challenging me today. Our redacted game this week. A darkness is gathering in the sprawling port town of Redacted. Members of the deteriorating city have been found dead. People fear leaving home, and rumors abound of a Redacted civil war brewing beneath the streets of the city. The player, down on his luck and carrying little other than a sword strapped to his back, it's interesting that it's the player's gender, comes fresh to the town and becomes all that stands in the way of the greatest threat ever to strike redacted and the redacted redacted. Uh, so it's a port town. It's a port town later described as a city, maybe port city. And you're primarily, uh, you're primarily wearing a sword on your back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this seems very specific. <laughs> it is. And you know what? I, there's something to the fact that the term in this description is the player. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't feel like a lot of things would refer to protagonists like that. Is this is this The Witcher Three? It is not, but it's uh, man. The Witcher Three doesn't happen without this. <laughs> Wait, is this? <laughs> it's not The Witcher Two or Witcher one. game. No, is no <laughs> <laughs> the, Witcher, the 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 Witcher series does not happen without this. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right. <laughs> okay, so I'm getting the sense that this is an early-ish RPG. Oh, gosh, this feels like could be could be so many different types of games. I'm trying to run through in my mind like the RPGs and the CRPGs that I know. Yes, that is exactly what you should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> like this this definitely isn't Planescape Torment. It there's a possibility of it being Dragon Age Inquisition, or not Inquisition, Origins. Well, let me give so you, because you had one guess, right? So I think if we do the yeah. metadata and then the reviews, we'll, we'll get some 
some okay. stuff. All right, this is the number twenty best PS2 game of 2001 the number 19 most discussed ps2 game of 2001 and the number 16 most shared ps2 game of 2001 though it is not a ps2 exclusive multi-platform rpg port town port town trying to think about the final fantasies so final fantasy 7 is ps1 game so it doesn't even matter <laughs> but like it wasn't set in a port town final fantasy 10 is a PS2 game. That one's more of like a world-spanning adventure. I think you spent part of your time in a port town, but that wasn't like mm. the setting of the game. Yeah. And I also wouldn't say that any Japanese RPG directly led to The Witcher existing either. <laughs> I feel like it almost has to be like within that kind of Euro jank scene. <laughs> right. I'm just trying to think of other... I mean, examples mm, of prominent. I don't know about Euro. Within that era. I don't know about Eurojank, but um, all right, I'll throw out a second guess just to kind of get some momentum going. Two thousand one, though. Let's see, what was I know? What was Bioware doing back then? Did they even exist back then? <laughs> I don't know, but two thousand one strikes me as a that's a pretty early PS two, very early, right? So this probably is. It's not quite one of those. <laughs> very early PS2 because 2001 like games are still being made on the N64. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I feel like if it was Fantasy Star, then you would be reading a Dreamcast review and not a PlayStation review. <laughs> what yep. else? Uh, <laughs> it's a safe bet. This is decidedly not Kingdom Hearts because there would be far more interesting things to mention. <laughs> yeah, and probably way more proper nouns to redact. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um. Is okay just to get some momentum going. Join redacted the magical mouse. <laughs> <laughs> is this a part of the Risen series? Is that a thing? Those pirate <laughs> RPGs? Uh, I know what you're talking about. It is not that. <laughs> it's not that. Game's pretty pretty well regarded. It's got an 87 okay. meta score and an 8.4 user score. Let's see if I can redact this uh, 10 review in real time. Mm-hmm. This is a game that sets the standards for RPGs on the PlayStation 2. Why? <laughs> it is the first RPG on the PlayStation 2. Every PS2 RPG to come after it has some resemblance. Though minimal at some point, they do bear resemblance. While it may bear more resemblance this is convoluted, uh, to an action-adventure game, it is still an RPG at its core. Being played out in chapters, a redacted level-up system, an incredible graphics engine. What is not to love about this RPG? A two is the lowest on the first page here. Nice game, except for some of the level design. Whoever thought that the redacted level two was a good idea was a jerk. Dying 50 plus times until you get a lucky sequence of redacted is the worst game experience I have ever had. All right, so we're thinking like action RPG, potentially the first RPG on the PlayStation 2. <laughs> potentially, right. Cannot verify my source on this. I don't know why I'm blanking so hard on RPGs in 2001. Should be a real sweet spot. Is this your last This is your last guess, yeah? Yeah. I'm going to give you right. one last hint. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Do you, do you want to go before this hint? It's up to you. I mean, not if it's my last one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. You give me one and then I'll give you one more hint. Okay. Okay. We're generous. Is this a Kingsfield game? It is not a Kingsfield game. 
I think you're right, going maybe ever so slightly niche when that is not necessary. I know. It's just like nothing's coming to mind. <laughs> where it should right. be. Fair enough. Okay. So here is your big hint. There is a, there's a good percentage chance that this is a game you and I will be able to enjoy once more. Hmm. Or we will. Hmm. How about this? We will be enjoying it once more soon. <sighs> okay. Let's see. Be enjoying it once more soon. Oh gosh. <laughs> Ah, this feels like a real, like you're really pointing me in a very specific direction and I'm still not picking up on it. <laughs> I know. A I've embarrassing, been there. Honestly. <laughs> the redacted games. It's hard. All right. So I'm trying to think of like games that have confirmed remasters, obviously mm-hmm. Mass Effect, but this is way too early for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles does, but this doesn't, that's not an action RPG. Early action RPG would be like within the Chrono series, but that never had a PS2 entry. Good action <laughs> oh, RPG no. Demon Souls recently had a remake, but that is too early. It's definitely but not you know what? I, Hear me out on this. I think that action RPGs did not look like PlayStation games at this point. Like PlayStation action RPGs now, I feel like are mostly thought of as behind the character. And that is not this era of RPG. I'm enjoying this like racking my brain (laughs) and on one hand i don't want to end it (laughs) but i also feel a responsibility to the listeners (laughs) to not extend this any longer than it needs to be uh how about and you'll have to excuse me if i just kind of wildly flail within the series instead of naming one in specific no that doesn't work because that was all the mana (laughs) games were on super nintendo oh no uh, <laughs> this is good though. You've really blanket, you've carpet bombed the RPG space in many ways here. <laughs> all right, I'm calling it. I'm calling it on you. I just finally give me, right, give you. me one more guess. Like, make <laughs> l- let me make a fool of myself and call out. Well, let's see. Is okay. There's no impending remaster, but how about Neverwinter Nights? <laughs> oh my god, dude! You've you've literally pulled up alongside this game, but you have not touched it. It was uh. <laughs> announced today that we would, Ooh. by surprise, be getting a re-release of Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Okay, all right. <laughs> Neverwinter Nights, man. Oh, you got right there. It's very close, yeah. <laughs> and and this description is, you know, there was almost nothing to redact. A, it, it's so generic RPG. A darkness is gathering in the sprawling port town of Baldur's Gate. Uh, members of the deteriorating <laughs> city are found dead. People fear uh, leaving their home and rumors abound of a thieves guild, which I, maybe I could have not redacted and still that would have been tough. Civil war brewing beneath the streets of the city. The player down on his luck, uh, carrying little other than a sword strapped to his back, comes to the fresh town and becomes all that stands in the way of the greatest threat ever to strike Baldur's Gate and the Sword Coast. Very nice. Well, I, uh, fair play, entirely fair play. <laughs> Baldur's Gate is a series that like I have like zero experience with and it's one of those where it's like not easy to catch up later like yeah anyone can go back to mario 64 and play it or watch a let's play or something and get the gist of it but like i feel like Baldur's gate because crpgs have changed so much since then Mm -hmm. it would be really difficult to like revisit in that specific like it'd be difficult to revisit as like a modern playthrough and it would be difficult to like watch a let's play of it because of how kind of text heavy those games tend to be so 
yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, interesting. I'll have to track down that uh, announcement that came out today. I saw <laughs> something about it, but I didn't like look too closely into it. But uh, entirely fair play. I I'm looking forward to getting into Baldur's Gate three. Yeah, four, the, or three. I, maybe it's just called Baldur's Gate all over again, or something like that. Well, the one that uh, the new new the right? um, developers of um, of Divinity the Original Divinity. Sin put out. Yeah, so they have a uh, Baldur's Gate currently in early access. I think it's three. And, um, that's, that's looking really good, but I have a, I have a, I, I'm nervous about starting a, a CRPG before the game is finished because those games yeah. are huge time sinks and I don't want to have to start over at any point in my adventure. Yeah. It turns Anyways. out, I guess I maybe just being in, uh, being at IGN, I'm, I'm getting all of this crazy news, but yeah, I guess uh, earlier today, this morning, Boulder's Gate Dark Alliance announced for PlayStation 4, Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. Yeah, it looks old as hell. I don't know how well it's going to sell, but maybe my friends over at Game Pass will get this deal done and we'll see how it goes. We'll see. I I don't know one way or the other. So <laughs> anyways, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll catch you again next week. Bye.